Are your wiper blades chattering, skipping, or squeaking? Don't let streaks or smearing on your windshield compromise your visibility. When it's time to replace your wiper blades, stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts and see our selection. Our professional parts people will even install your new wiper blades while you wait. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast, your home for deer hunting news, stories, and strategies. And now, your host, Mark Kenyon. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast. I'm your host, Mark Kenyon, and this is episode number 23. Today in the show, we're doing something a little bit different, as Dan and I discuss why and how we plan our first non-whitetail big game hunts out west, and why you might want to consider a similar adventure. This episode is sure to get you dreaming big, so settle in and enjoy. Alright, welcome to the Wire to Hunt podcast, and with me today on the show is just my trusty co-host, Dan Johnson. Dan, how you doing? I'm doing good, but I'm not in front of my computer at home. I know. It sounds a little different. It sounds like you are definitely not at work, so that's a good thing, right? <laughs> <laughs> I am not at work. I am sitting on a dirt road right now in the middle of nowhere just so I c- I'm close enough to the, I don't know, I can see I can see a cell phone tower in the distance flashing lights, so uh, I'm Good enough to get reception, but in the least populated county in the United States. That is awesome. That's a pretty pretty cool thing to be in. I've, I've, I guess not many people have probably ever been somewhere with so few people, I bet. Um, it, yeah, it is isolated. I mean, if you want to come, if you want to ever be alone, this is the place you come. I guess so. Well, it's pretty awesome that you're able to join us for the podcast, despite the fact that you're out there in the middle of nowhere. And it's really cool because what we're going to talk about today, as you know, is exactly what you're doing right now. Um, today, I wanted us to talk about whitetail hunters going west or going north or going anywhere except for where they usually go hunting whitetails. Um, I want to talk about how whitetail hunters, what it's like for a whitetail hunter to go hunt something different. Maybe it's big game. Maybe you're hunting elk out in the Rocky Mountains. Maybe you're doing what you're doing, which is hunting mule deer um, out west. Maybe you're going up north chasing moose. Whatever it is, I kind of want to talk about our own experiences um, about chasing something different than whitetails. I know we've both been able to try that now. Um, so 
that's kind of what I'm thinking we should kind of focus on um, tonight. And I want to get things kicked off, though, about hearing how you're doing, because I haven't really got any kind of scoop from you yet about this hunt. Um, so for the listeners out there, can you first fill us in on you know, where the heck you are, where this least populated county in the country is, and what you're doing out there? I am in Arthur County, Nebraska. And let's see, I'm about 40 or 50 miles, I believe, from the Colorado border. And I, it is, it's grassland. I mean, it's, you get to the top, you get to the top of a hill and all you see is just, it, it just looks like infinity. I mean, you can see forever, um, just hill after hill after hill, uh, mule deer, antelope, uh, white tails. Um, they got it all here. I, I even saw some Merriam turkeys. So, nice. which is strange because I, I think, I think it was Merriam's. Yeah, pretty much, I'm pretty sure it's Merriam's, but they, there's no trees for them to roost in. So I'm just kind of curious where they go at night. Anyway, it's, uh, it's gorgeous out here. It is, it's, it's gorgeous. I bet I, uh, I've I've driven through part or somewhere near that area I think, um, but I've just always what I've loved about the West is just the wide open spaces you know and like like they call Montana the Big Sky Country just being able to see so far is it's pretty awesome. So, it, so you're out there. It's you, so it's nuts because I feel so small out out here. It's I it's I don't know. It's just something. It's it's like it was like a rude awakening when I woke up. Um, that first morning I was out here, I stayed, I spent the night in the hotel first morning. I, I came out here and started driving around. And as the sun came up, I was like, this is a different planet. It's, it's, it's nuts. Just goes forever. It's pretty awesome, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. There's something about that, uh, that wide open and no, no people and no buildings and cities and everything just be able to see out across uh across the great outdoors that's a pretty cool thing so uh yeah and the, the thing about it the thing about it is you know I'm, I'm sitting here i'm trying to you know as i'm out there trying to put what i'm seeing in words and it's very hard to do because it's just like nature at its finest i don't, I don't know i i don't know it's just it's 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 kind of an emotional thing Oh, I bet. I definitely think um, I can relate to that too. With some of my trips out west, for sure. But before we yeah. before we get too much into s- some of this stuff, which I definitely want to talk more about, and kind of the things that have driven me out west, and maybe what drove you out there too. I'm curious. You know, right now you're what three or four days in the hunt. You're chasing mule deer. What's the status report, Dan? What's happening? Do you have anything on the ground yet? <laughs> Man, I wish. This is not this is not your Midwest hunting at all. Um, there's no cover, so they're bedded down in, in grass, and the grass isn't very high. So I, I mean, they're always they they see you before you know. The first day I went out and I hopped into some some these hills, and so the first thing I did was check my wind. And I'm, I'm walking up busted instantly. 
in the two two or three ridges over. I'm like, what am I doing wrong? So you know, it's definitely a learning process as I'm getting at every day and every stock I go on, I'm getting better, and then I'm getting closer to these game. Um, I've I've had uh, I've had within shooting distance, I've had mule deer does, I've had white-tailed does and white-tailed bucks. Um, this more actually this morning, I had a white-tailed buck that I was stalking, and I could just see like part of his antlers, so I couldn't really tell how big he was. But as I'm as I'm approaching him, uh, something happened, wind swirled or something, and you know how typically a white-tail will stand up and look at you, you know, you know like an animal stand up, get its bearings. Yeah. I it, he just took off so. That was the closest that about thirty yards I've had for a for a, a buck. I haven't I haven't even seen uh, a mule deer buck yet. But I like tonight I just got off of a, a, a sorghum field and I was surrounded. I think I counted sixteen mule deer does in their fawns. Oh, nice! So an antelope man, they are a different brute. I mean, they are so spooky that. I'm I'm probably 500 yards away through a spotting scope, just watching them, and I've I've been watching them for about an hour, and then all of a sudden they just take off, and I know it's not me. They're looking in one direction, they just take off. So that antelope is going to be a struggle, I think. So is your well? How many more days do you have left, Dan? Let's see. Today's Tuesday. I got Wednesday, Thursday. Let's see, Wednesday, Thursday. Friday, and I'm probably going to leave Saturday. So three more days. So what are you? Three, four, three or four more days. Yeah. What are you targeting at this point? Are you still shooting for a, a muley buck, or are you going to take a whitetail if you get a shot, a shot, or an antelope, or what's your goal at this point? My goal has changed from the very first two days. Uh, it was I'm going to go out there. I'm going to glass my ass off. I'm going to. Um, try to find a, a, you know, not not a giant deer, but uh, a buck. I want a, a mule deer buck or a whitetail buck. And, you know, spotting and stalking it would be awesome. I'd like to have a, um, a buck antelope because I bought both tags. Okay. But as I'm realizing this is not easy, I will definitely be lowering my standards. Like, I passed... I passed uh, a couple mule deer does at about 30 yards. You know, I was coming up over these these uh, these little hills, and they're bedded on the um, they're bedded on the backside of these hills with the wind in their favor. And so you got to come up from the opposite direction. And uh, and I don't know. It's just I. I passed a couple does, hoping that there'd be some some bucks in there. There hasn't been a buck yet. So my goal right now, I think tomorrow, tomorrow will be kind of a, if it's brown, it's down type of thing, um, which I've just been thinking, it's like, okay, so I practice management on, on all the properties I can hunt in Iowa. So I'm, I'm kind of have an internal struggle of whether I should practice management here too. You know what I mean? Right if I shoot a small buck or um, something that's not mature as opposed to 
you know, a doe, you know, that's fine. I'll, I'll shoot a doe in a heartbeat, but you know, like an immature, an immature buck. I don't know. Yeah. It's kind of a tough call. I've struggled kind of with the same thing too, for, um, you know, my hunts going out West for elk, um, to a degree, it feels weird, you know, thinking about shooting a really young deer or elk, um, given the fact of where we're at as, as deer hunters, but uh, at least where I've gotten, what I've kind of set my mind to is the fact that when you're starting on a new species, at least in my mind, you're kind of starting back at square one. And before you can kill a big mature bull elk, I feel like I need to prove to myself and experience myself what it's like to kill any elk. Um, yep. So, you know, last year I had my first elk hunting trip and my plan was to hold out for a bull. I originally thought I was going to try to hold out for a branch antler bull. Um, but pretty quickly after half that trip had passed by, I realized, wow, this isn't as easy as I was hoping it might be. Um, you know, if I want to kill anything, I might need to change those standards. So going into it this year, um, I'm going to be much less selective, at least until I get that first experience out of the way and then, you know, take another step up the ladder. Um, but I think there's something to be gained just by having that first experience, regardless of if it's a big bull or a cow or a doe, mule deer or whatever. Um, I got to imagine it'll be pretty awesome. Even if you do kill a doe um, or a small buck or something out there, being able to spot and stalk on one like that out in the, out in the sand hills like that, that'll be a pretty memorable experience regardless of how big that deer is. I, I would think. Oh yeah. And it, this is already a memorable experience. I mean, I mean, I'm sitting here over a hayfield last night, and I got, you know, about, oh, seven or eight antelope in one direction. I got, uh, um, I bumped a couple, I actually, last night was, I had about a 140, no, maybe a 138 pointer, uh, wow. and then about a one one fifty five maybe 160 class 10 whitetail. Jeez. So I bumped, I bumped them going into spot and, um, I was glassing this, this hill and I, you know, I was glassing and glassing and glassing. And then, you know, you take one or two steps and you glass some more, one or two steps until you glass the whole field. Well, I don't know. I must've got lazy or thought the the hill I had seen the bottom. I take two more steps and they blow out of there. So, I don't know. This is a patience game, man. I'm, you just got to sit. Like the first night, I just, or the first day, and then the next morning, I just went walking. I just would walk, and then I'd spot. You have to sit down and let thing, the area calm down. And it's you'll be surprised at what works its way back into the area without you even knowing it. Yeah, sounds just completely I don't know, I, completely I kind different. of went off on a rant there. I don't remember what the original question was. <laughs> I had asked you what your favorite color was, and somehow we ended up on uh, talking about sitting down and letting things come to you. So it was a weird thing that went on there, Dan. <laughs> it's a baby. It's blue. It's baby blue. Oh, that baby sounds, blue is my favorite color. That sounds just perfect for your eyes. <laughs> so let's let's take a step back. Um, I want to talk about you know what you've learned you know, on this trip and, you know, how hunting mule deer is different than hunting whitetails. And I want to share some things about how, you know, what I've learned on my elk trip. Um, but before that, let's start at the beginning um, for both of us. And that's, you know, what I'm curious to know, what made you want to try hunting something different than whitetails? What made you want to go West and chase something like this? Um, let's hear from you and then I'll, I'll kind of share my perspective with elk. 
Well, a lot of it had, I mean, there's a couple, there's a couple things that made me want to head out. One, um, with my daughter at her age and my wife is now pregnant again, uh, it's more of a time thing, you know, as my kids start to grow up and, uh, as they, uh, you know, start their school and activities, it's going to be harder for me to get away. Um, the other thing is my body just can't, you know, in 10 years, you know, 10, 15 years, I'm going to be, you know, in my late forties and, uh, probably still, you know, I know guys who go out and do it, but you know, I got terrible knees the way it is. So it's just like body and age right now, uh, just seems, you know, the, the best time to do, you know, get some of these things done, you know, and, and, you know, as the family grows, not saying that there's not going to be time after they're old enough where I can leave the house, you know, they can use the toilets by themselves and feed themselves. But, um, but yeah, uh, you know, there was, there's something inside me that was kind of like, come West, come West, come like feel the dreams, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was like, if you, if you make it, they will come. Well, it was like, if you save your money and you can go hunt animals out West, I don't know. It just, <laughs> it was a, a little voice in my head that was telling me, you know, you know, do it and do it now. I don't know. And so, so I did. Have you always wanted to do something like this or is it a new found interest? Well, you know, remember that podcast we have with, uh, Bernie. Yep. I think his name was. Yeah. We, uh, um, it started right then and there about the DIY trips. Yeah. And, um, it just was like thoughts started rolling. What could I do? What could I do, um, under a certain budget and the time constraints that I had, I had four extra days of vacation that I could play around with this year. So, um, yeah, there it is. Uh, it's, it's, it's kind of hard to describe. I just, I just did it. I just kind of, I asked my wife and she said, yeah, cool. Go for it. And, uh, I'm in the middle of nowhere talking to you. <laughs> yeah. I think uh, I can relate to a lot of stuff you said there too. Um, I think I all, maybe not always, but for a long time knew I wanted to go hunt big game in the mountains. For me, it was always the mountains though. Um, I've yeah. just in general, I just love the mountains. I mean, my biggest, hobby and passion other than hunting is camping, hiking, backpacking, doing anything out in the mountains. Um, so I always knew I wanted to get out there with a gun or a bow and hunt some of these animals. That was always something that I thought would be incredible combining, you know, my, um, my love for the hunt with something I like so much like backpacking and stuff. And so yeah. always, it was always something that I was like, someday I was like, someday I'll go do it. Someday I'll do it. And for me, the trigger for whatever reason, you know, I knew forever I'd wanted to do it, but I was reading this book called The Scavenger's Guide to Hawk Cuisine by Stephen Rinella. It's a really, really good book. And um, Stephen Rinella was writing or talking about this elk hunt he was on. And for whatever reason, while reading that story, and I'd read hundreds of other elk hunting stories and watched elk hunting on TV shows and everything like that, but for whatever reason, while reading that book and listening or hearing that, reading that story, it just the flip switch. And I was like, you know what? Screw it. I'm just going to do it. Like I keep saying someday, why not, right. why not do it now? Why not this year? Right. 
And I literally texted my buddy right then. I put the book down and texted a friend of mine who had gone elk hunting a number of times and who'd always told me, he's like, yeah, you got to get out there. You got to experience it. Um, but I'd always said, ah, someday. Well, I texted him right then. I was like, we're going elk hunting this year. And he texted back and he's like, all right, we're doing it. And, um, and so we did, but, um, but yeah, it was always, like you said, there's a little something calling in the back of my head that's just been saying, you know, you got to go out there, you got to try it. Um, and I knew given my experiences out there doing other things that I would love it if for no other reason, no other reason, just for the country, just for being out there in the, um, just this huge, vast wilderness. Um, so that was alluring in itself, but I, I just couldn't imagine how awesome it could be to combine that with, uh, with chasing an animal. And, uh, now that I've done it, I can say that it's just as good and maybe even better than I was expecting. Um, what do you, are you, has it lived up to your expectations so far, your hunt and what you were dreaming about? Yeah. And thinking about? Now, a lot of you guys are familiar with the old hunting tradition of eating, you know, some organ, the heart or a chunk of liver off the first animal you kill. I had that when I was a little kid and it was a big deal. Organ meats were always prized by frontier people who knew the importance of getting a lot of different minerals and nutrients. And as often is the case, those guys were on to something because organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. And you can get the same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from heart and soil made exclusively from regeneratively raised grass-fed and finished cattle heart and soils unique freeze-drying process means all those important nutrients are trapped in ensuring you experience every one of the benefits of nature's superfood in a clean convenient taste-free capsule find out more at heartandsoil.co and make sure to use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. That's heartandsoil.co. Use the code MEATEATER. O'Reilly Auto Parts are in the business of keeping your car on the road. O'Reilly Auto Parts offer friendly, helpful service and the parts knowledge you need for all your maintenance and repairs. If you're confused about what part you need, like what wipers are going to be the best, what replacement headlights are going to be the best, go into O'Reilly and talk to the people that work there because they're great and they're super friendly and they'll get you squared away where you walk out knowing you got the right thing. They've got thousands of parts and accessories in stock, either in-store or online, so you never have to worry if you're in a jam. Do you need your windshield wipers replaced? you need a brake light fixed? you need some quick service? They'll help you find the right part or point you to the nearest local repair shop for help. The professional parts people at O'Reilly Auto Parts are your one-stop shop for all things auto do-it-yourself and you can find what you need in-store or online. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit us at O'ReillyAuto.com slash MeatEater. That's O'ReillyAuto.com slash MeatEater. You know, just like any, everything in life, you know, you watch, you watch a TV show or you read a book or you, you know, listen to someone talk about it you kind of have this idea of what it's like to go come out here or in the mountains or in the plains, like where I'm at, but then you don't really get to know what it's all about until you actually live it. And I'll have to, I'll be honest with you. My, my expectations 
I'm not going to say that they were, they, they're not living up to my expectations. It's just different than what I thought it was going to be. Yeah. You know, um, it is, it's tough and you got to work every, you know, every step and every move you make is you have to, there's no, there's, you know, like when you're sitting in a tree stand, whitetail hunting, you can kind of zone out for a little bit. Yep. Here you can't do that. No. I mean, you make one, you make one false move and the, you know, just like with those, the bucks that I saw uh, yesterday, you see, you know, you, you shut down, you zone out for one step. That one step costs, costs you. So you got to be on point the entire time. It's crazy because I, I've started to think like, you know, today it really kind of sunk in. I'm like, I have to, I'm not paying attention just in front of me now. I'm paying attention to behind me at the same time because you get skyline, you're done. You know, you get, you know, you, you pop out, you know, you may think you have the wind, but the terrain changes with every, every 50 yards. You, you think you have, you know, the advantage you turn around and there's a whole nother ridge that you didn't even see because the ridge you're coming off of block it. So, it's like you got to go slow and you got to just be aware of absolutely everything and, and actually think like a predator. You know, you think like a coyote or a mountain lion. What would they do to attack this animal? Yeah, it's, it's like you said, it's so different doing this kind of spot and stalk type hunt. Yeah. Um, even, you know, when I was out there chasing elk, it's, it's a much more active hunt and engaged in that like you said i mean like with, with deer hunting in a lot of cases whitetail hunting you know a lot of our actual action is being done in the preseason right when we're going out there and scouting yep. something and deciding okay this is the spot and then trimming lanes hanging a stand doing all that stuff um but then the actual hunt itself is really get to the place where you did the work four months ago and sit there a long time until the animal comes by um yep but you know, in this kind of situation that you're in, or that I'm going to be in in a couple of days, it's uh, you know, every like you said, every step you take is work. Every step you take could make or break your hunt. Um, you constantly have to be engaged. You constantly have to be on point. Constantly have to be ready and thinking about what to do next. Um, and yep. as much of a challenge as that is, I've found there's a huge um, uh, attractiveness to that. Like it's just so so much fun. Yeah. It's so. I don't know. I can't think of a better word, but just engaging. It's got your whole brain and body and every bit of you. Like you said, you have to think like a predator and you feel more like a predator almost. Yeah. Um, it's very primal, at least for me, when you're stepping through the woods or you know through the grasslands or whatever it might be, every sense is engaged. Every I feel like the human body is working at its optimal as we're supposed to be when you're in a situation like yeah. that. Well, and I, I couldn't agree with you more because just imagine, you know, the way humans live their lives today, it's kind of a wake up, go to work, you know, type on the computer for a little bit. Or if you're a factory worker, you screw your bolts in or whatever. Your brain isn't functioning like it's supposed to. You know, we only use however many he, out here or, you know, especially when you're going, 
you know, you're going up in the mountains. If you make a false, if you make one false move, not only is the animal going to see you, but you could hurt yourself falling yeah. down the side of a cliff or something. Yeah. Here, you know, I could, uh, you know, roll my ankle in a, in a, you know, in a, a cow, cow rut, but you know, I'm not, I'm not going to fall, you know, hundreds of feet if I make a, a wrong move out here. Yes, yeah, definitely just different all the way around from that yeah. perspective too. There's a lot of things that are riding on the decisions you make and how prepared you are for that hunt. Um, which I think brings me to the next thing. You know, let's say there's a guy out there listening right now, a guy or girl listening to what we're talking about here, and they're thinking to themselves, you know what, maybe I need to get out there and, and try something like this. Um, you know, how, Dan, did you go about preparing for this? Um, you know, I'm I'm preparing for my second elk hunting trip right now and leaving in a couple of days, so I can share a few things about what I've learned about the preparation. But I'm curious for you, you know, deciding on this a couple months ago, what have you done to get ready for this hunt, to plan this hunt, and to actually get out there and do it? Oh, man, I can't tell you how many hours I have looked at aerial maps of this of this land. Um, talking with other people who have done it, you know, you know, on Facebook, just, hey, who's been out west to Nebraska, you know, and then someone will answer you. Um, you know, I've done some reading, watched, you know, watched some shows, watched some videos, talked to other hunters who've been out here and who've done it, um, you know, talked to the people who live in this area and just, you know, try to be a, a sponge of information in that and save money. And, you know, this isn't like, this isn't like uh, Iowa where I can go park my truck for, you know, four hours while I sit in a tree stand, you, there's a lot of driving. And that's one thing that I, to be honest with you, I underestimated the amount of driving and the gas money that I would need for this trip. Hmm. So that's a, that's definitely a learning experience. So, I mean, I'm, I'm driving, I'm driving a lot of miles too, to get to these locations and, uh, I'm using four wheel drive that's sucking the gas up. So, you know, just a little bit unprepared underprepared that way but everything else just i don't know i I bought extra socks i bought a new (laughs) pair of boots i you know i bought some extra underwear um i went to the grocery store and bought you know i try to do the grocery store thing as cheap as possible um you know water gatorade bread and ham loaf if you don't know if you don't know what ham loaf is it's the cheapest ham mixed with cheese calorie stuffed type of meat you can find (laughs) only only the best for dallas fort worth (laughs) that's correct that's correct oh man so uh what were you what were you looking for for maybe for a guy that's thinking about hunting mule deer what should they be looking for when they're taking a look at these aerial maps and stuff when they're trying to plan their hunt it sounds like you learned a few things from different people and from some different resources you tapped into you know what was it that you were looking into um while looking at those maps Man, I, you know, I was just trying to get feel get the lay, the lay of the land. But one thing that I was kind of taken surprise by surprise is that the aerial maps don't show you is the difference in elevation um, and how actually big these hills are 
and how wide these valleys are out here. Um, just, it's one of those things where you can do all the preparation in the world, but until you get out here and and do it, you know, it's like, it's one of those things like you can be book smart or you can have, you know, the street smarts. Coming out here is definitely a street smart education because you can be prepared and know everything there is to know about, you know, muleys and uh, Nebraska, you know, prairie hunting and, and antelope and all that stuff. But until you actually do it and fail and fail and fail again, that's that's where your real preparation for your next trip kind of comes into play. I mean, you, a guy can a guy can work out and be in great shape, and I'm sure you found this out. But until you and then in the in the Rockies, you hit that elevation, it's a different story. Oh yeah. Like you said, I think everything you just said there's so true. It's, um, I think planning and thinking about a hunt while sitting at a computer is just light years different from what it actually is like yeah. on the ground. Um, and you, right. yeah, you have to do as much as you possibly can to prepare beforehand, but still go into it. You know, you need to know that, Hey, it's going to be a whole nother experience once you get out there. Um, like you said, one thing, like you said, um, you know, I, I do tons of studying of aerial maps and Google Earth and everything. You think you've got an idea of the lay of the land and the terrain and everything. Um, but like you said, when you're looking at Google Earth, even on something like that that shows you the terrain and the mountains and everything, what looks like a foothill on a map, when you're actually on the ground out there, it looks like some real serious work. <laughs> it's a yeah. lot different when you're actually out there. And another thing you talked about was preparing, you know, physically. Um I don't know about for you. I'd be curious to hear if you felt like you needed or if you had to do anything to prepare for this hunt. But when it comes to hunting elk, um, at least in the places where I'm at and where most people are hunting elk up in the high country, it's just a totally different experience than chasing whitetails. You just really need to prepare for that and over-prepare. Um, because I think lots of times people think, well, you know, I'll do a couple of runs here and there and just be in basic, decent shape. But when you're out there with a big pack on your back, whether you're day hiking in or if you're backpack hunting out in the back country, um, you don't want to be not enjoying your hunt because you're not physically able to, or if you're in pain because yeah. you've overworked yourself. So for me, you know, luckily I do a lot of trips out West, just like I said, to do different backpacking, hiking type things. So I've got a decent amount of experience. I know what I need to do to get ready for that, but um, it's definitely something I wouldn't, undersell it's it's important have you did you do anything to to work physically leading up to your trip dan or do you wish you did or how you feeling on that front well i'll tell you um you know everybody can always do a little bit more cardio workout but for me i knew that there was going to be a lot of leg work involved so when i found out that i was going to be coming out here man i did i squatted and I squatted and squatted and squatted and, and did uh, the leg press machine uh, at my gym and just and, and did calf raises and just build my legs up as as much as I could, I guess, um, without you know hurting myself. And and I and I believe it it kind of helped. Um, but you know, walking up a straight, you know, a really big hill uh, out here, I'm still winded. But at, you know, after a after the first day and the very first morning hike in where your heart gets pumping real, 
real hard. Um, and then you're able to, what I call get the shed hunting ladder, you know, <laughs> you're, you start sweating, you get that ladder, you're, you're all your joints are greased up and you're good to go from, for the rest of the day. Yep. Yep. It's a good place to be. Yep. What about gear? Um, are you packing any different things other than what you usually take when you're whitetail hunting? Um, is there anything else that someone doing a hunt like this should think about? Uh, I'll be completely honest with you. The most important thing I have with me, aside from, you know, aside from the hunt, actual hunting bow and arrow stuff, is a water bladder that I, I purchased and put in my pack. That thing has saved my life. I Just because... Yesterday, I peed one time. <laughs> that's that's a little bit of dehydration. Yeah. Well, yesterday yesterday it was also um, ninety degrees out here, yes. so I, it's it's hot, and I was doing a lot of sweating. Um, so, but that that thing kept me, you know. You know, you can only carry so much stuff with you, and that little water bladder that I had, um, you know, it, it pretty much kept me hydrated enough for that for uh, so, so far the rest of the day. Just put a little bit more water in it when you uh, go out the next morning, and you pretty much set for a day. Now, a lot of you guys are familiar with the old hunting tradition of eating, you know, some organ, the heart, or a chunk of liver off the first animal you kill. I had that when I was a little kid, and it was a big deal. Organ meats were always prized by frontier people who knew the importance of getting a lot of different minerals and nutrients. And, as often is the case, those guys were on to something. Because organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. And you can get the same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil made exclusively from regeneratively raised, grass-fed, and finished cattle. Heart and Soil's unique freeze-drying process means all those important nutrients are trapped in, ensuring you experience every one of the benefits of nature's superfood in a clean, convenient, taste-free capsule. Find out more at heartandsoil.co and make sure to use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. That's heartandsoil.co. Use the code MEATEATER. O'Reilly Auto Parts are in the business of keeping your car on the road. O'Reilly Auto Parts offer friendly, helpful service and the parts knowledge you need for all your maintenance and repairs. If you're confused about what part you need, like what wipers are going to be the best, what replacement headlights are going to be the best, go into O'Reilly and talk to the people that work there because they're great and they're super friendly and they'll get you squared away where you walk out knowing you got the right thing. They've got thousands of parts and accessories in stock, either in-store or online, so you never have to worry if you're in a jam. Do you need your windshield wipers replaced? you need a brake light fixed? you need some quick service? They'll help you find the right part or point you to the nearest local repair shop for help. The professional parts people at O'Reilly Auto Parts are your one-stop shop for all things auto do-it-yourself and you can find what you need in-store or online. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit us at O'ReillyAuto.com slash meat eater. That's O'ReillyAuto.com slash meat eater. 
Yeah, that's awesome. For whatever reason, I haven't went the uh, water bladder route. I'm just kind of old school, and I've always used my water bottles for all my backpacking and trips, hiking trips like that. But I kind of, I feel like I should just man up and get one of those because it seems pretty nice to be able to not need to worry about stopping and grabbing a bottle. You can just take that hose and drink while you go. Oh yeah, yep. That's that's what I've done this entire entire week um, so far. That and you know a good pair of boots. You know those are breaking it all down. There's those are the two the two most important things. Yeah, I was gonna say the same good thing for me. Yeah, for for any trip, whether it be stalking mule deer or elk or in the mountains or the plains, I think boots are just so important. And, you know, for deer hunting, it's important, too. You want warm boots, and you want some boots that are going to keep you dry and relatively scent-free. But I think for for a hunt where you're on your feet the whole time and hiking around, it's just so much more important. Um, and I think it's important not to not to buy a pair of hiking boots that you haven't tried yet. Or if you're going to buy some online, plan on getting them, trying them on, and you know, possibly needing to return them because there really is a lot of difference between different brands and different styles and how that's going to fit your foot and how that's going to support you for whatever type of hunt you're going to do. Um, there's nothing worse than buying a pair of boots and you know your first day having horrible blisters and being you know in serious pain the whole rest of your hunt. So, right. Right. Well, the thing the thing that I found out is, you know, I I I. When I first bought these boots earlier in the summer, I would mow my yard in them, and hell, I was even walking on the treadmill uh, in my basement with them on. But you, you can't, you can't, um, oh, emulate, you know, big cliffs or huge drop-offs or walking sideways on a on a hill, or um, you can't emulate that. And it's one of those things where you really won't know until it's probably too late. Yeah, there's some truth to that. Um, And so what I always do for my trips is I'm always packing a blister uh, repair kit. And there's different things like that. I don't know if you've used anything like this, Dan, Um, but there's like stuff called moleskin, which is like a little padding you can put over a blister and cover it up so it's not inside your boots. But kind of my hillbilly blister kit is just a roll of duct tape. I'll just bring a little bit of duct tape with me on any trip I ever take out west where I'm going to be hiking a lot. And if I get a blister coming up, I'll just stick a little bit of duct tape on it, and it just slides real nice in my boot the rest of the time, and I don't have any issues with it. So if you don't have any of the real stuff, a little bit of duct tape will usually fix the problem. (laughs) That's something that applies to most things in life, right? (laughs) That's right. That's right. Now, uh... What about, let's go back to actually being in the hunt now. Um, do you have any other tips for someone going on a mule deer hunt from an actual hunting perspective? I mean, so far I think I've taken from you, take it slow, always be paying attention. Um, what what else? Are there any other key, key lessons that you've learned about the actual tactical piece of hunting mule deer in a situation like you're in? Yeah, I mean, they're... If the wind's coming, you know, you got to pay attention to the wind. If the wind's coming over top of the hill, they're going to be, if they're bedded on that hill, they're going to be on the opposite side. So the wind is blowing over top of the, the hill um, so they can catch the scent. Um, I've noticed, tonight I noticed that um, I hunted over top of a, a green field. And I watched all these uh, all these mule deer come off the hills, and they 
it was almost like a staging area. They had, uh, they kind of just, they would, they'd crest the ridge or, or sideswipe it because they never skyline themselves. They kind of come around there and then they bed down again and they just observe that area. Um, so, you know, it's, it's, I'm still learning myself. You know, this is only day three for me. So it's like me wanting to give someone advice is, <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing yet. Right. So I don't, I don't, I don't really have any advice except for um, just be as observant as humanly possible. That's probably the most good advice you can give. I guess, like you said, you don't want to do too much blind leading the blind. But, yeah, um, exactly. I'm kind of in a similar boat too. I mean, I hunted elk last week or not last week, last year for a week my first time out there in Idaho and learned a lot. Um, but probably the biggest thing I learned is I still don't know so much. There's just, there's so much to, to learn. And I guess we take that for granted. I think Dan with whitetails, right? We've been hunting whitetails our whole lives. We've been studying them in detail, you know, for a really long time and have so much experience with it, but going to a totally new place with a totally new animal, it's just a different game. It's totally different. So, I'm still trying to figure out, okay, where the heck do these things bed and when and where are they going to feed and how are they traveling and all those different things. And for me, just like you said, there's not a whole lot of advice I can give to an elk hunter except for prepare as much as you can physically, learn the land, and then get away from pressure out here, um, out in Idaho and Colorado and, and most places where there's decent elk populations. If you're hunting public land, it's going to be you're going to be usually going to be competing with other people. And from everything I've heard and seen, the farther you can get away from access points and roads and other campsites or anything like that, you know, the better chance you're going to have at finding a bull. Um, and so that's something I'm trying to do. And just, we're backpacking in. So we're just hiking in there deep with everything on our backs and, uh, just trying to get far away from everything and hopefully, hopefully find some secluded herds of elk. And then, uh, again, kind of like with whitetails, in heavily pressured areas, calling and really aggressive techniques don't typically work with whitetails. Like here in Michigan, I'm not going to do a whole bunch of rattling or snort wheezing or something or put a decoy in front of these deer because they've seen it from 20 other guys over the last two days. Um, similarly, yeah. what I've learned is in a lot of these higher pressured public lands for elk, same deal. Everyone wants to go out there with a bugle and make all sorts of noise and think that they're going to call on the great big herd bull. Uh, but from what I saw and from what I've heard from other more experienced hunters, that's just not the case. Um, they are, you know, they've heard a whole lot of idiot hunters bugling and making them sound like idiots and they react to that negatively. And so I think last year I was pushing a lot of elk away cause I was trying to call too much. So this year I'm going to, I'm going to do a lot more listening and following versus, uh, trying to make a whole bunch of noise myself. So I don't know, hopefully we'll, we'll have a lot more to, to talk about after my hunt. I'm leaving in a couple of days here and driving out there to Eastern Idaho and we're going to give it a, give it the old college try. So Heck yeah, Heck yeah. I think if nothing all else, you can do. yeah, it's all you can do. And if nothing else, uh, for me, and I'm thinking it's probably the same with you with these first hunts for a new animal like this, the new, the new experience, it really is about the experience. I'm definitely not at the yeah. point now where I, I'm not the point yet with elk hunting where I'm trying to, you know, 
get a trophy or shoot a shoot a big mature bull or anything and I'm not going to be disappointed if I don't for me it's being out there seeing something new learning something new um and challenging myself in different ways yeah for sure same here yeah so what do you think Dan if there's if there was someone out there on the fence about trying something new would you would you recommend to someone Right now, it's a hardcore whitetail hunter. Would you recommend they go out west or go up north or go somewhere different and hunt some other big game? Um, and if so, why? Man, you only live once, and I've, uh, I've, I, you know, I try to live my life with no regrets. You know, saying, "Oh, I should have done this. I should have done that," um, and that's kind of what made me decide to do this trip. Um, so yes, do something different, go outside of your comfort zone. And I, you know, I was scared. I shouldn't say scared, but a little nervous, you know, driving out here. What am I doing? What, you know, what's this all about? You get out here, you learn it. It's a new experience. The the cool thing is, is watching how animal move, animals move with no trees and watching how they use the lay of the land is something that I'm going to be able to take back to Iowa to hunt because watching, watching a deer move through the woods, it's like one of those things. You can't see the forest because of the trees. Yeah. Here's the, here there's no forest. So you get to watch their movements, you know, how they use the wind to their advantage with no trees. And I'm going to be able to take that back to Iowa. And I already have a couple spots picked out where I think I need to move my tree stands to a different location, you know, cause I'm, I'm, I'm thinking like that. So, so to answer your question, yes, everybody should try something different, whether it's, you know, going to hunt elk, mule deer, moose, hunting whitetails in a different state. It's just, it's, it's a different experience and it will make you a better hunter. Yeah. I, I'm right there with you. I think it's, it's one of those things where I think a lot of people just get set in their ways and their comfort zone and they know what they do and they know they like it. And there's a lot of guys who say, I love hunting whitetails. I love this, doing this thing every fall. Why would I do anything different? And I think in a lot of cases, you just don't know what you're missing until you experience it. And you, I feel like, like we've talked about, I feel like going out West and doing this different type of hunting, hunting elk, opened up a whole different part of the hunt for me. It's a whole nother, like a a box in the hunting world that I had never looked into before. And I opened it up and it opened up this whole different piece of what it means to be a hunter and what hunting means and and what I need to do to be a, to be a successful hunter. Um, it just opened up all these different possibilities and it engaged me. Like I said before, it engages you as a hunter in ways that's really, really, ah, I guess I don't, I don't really know the words. Words aren't coming, but it's special. It's something really unique, and it's special, and it's worth experiencing. And for me, now that I've experienced it, I don't see myself ever not coming out here. As, as often as I can, as, as often as time allows and I can afford it, I'll be coming out here at least every year, hopefully, to chase some kind of big game animal out west or up in Alaska or Canada or whatever it is, whatever I can manage to pull off. This is the type of hunting yeah. that... Um, I would like to continue to do because it's an awesome experience. It's an incredible challenge. And um, 
I think for a lot of people that live east of the Mississippi, which the large majority of deer hunters do, there's a lot of beautiful country on the eastern part of the country and in the Midwest and the south. Awesome country. But there, at least for me personally, there's just something special about going out west. It's wide open. There's not as many people. It is just gorgeous country from the grasslands and Nebraska and to Colorado. You hit the mountain ranges, and it is just, it is, it just, it hits me somewhere deep down, and I just feel like there's something out there that calls to me, and I, uh, when the mountains call, I have to go, and so that's, uh, yep. that's, that's what I'll be doing for, probably for the rest of my life. Yeah, it's, it's good stuff. That's for sure. So. I don't know. I think we've made our sales pitch to everyone out there. I think uh, we've now done it. We've both now gone out west and tried some different kind of hunting. Of course, we still love hunting whitetails a ton, and that's what we do the most of the time. So I think for everyone out there listening, don't feel like you need to give up on whitetails or give up on your passion or anything, but um, try something different every once in a while. I think it'll make you enjoy hunting even more and, and appreciate certain things about whitetails too, I think, to a degree. So... What do you think, Dan? What's the plan for tomorrow for the hunt tomorrow? Are you gonna make it happen? I'm gonna I'm gonna go way down the new state record in Nebraska mule deer. All right. Is this the Just state kidding. state record spike? <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna probably shoot a doe. <laughs> hey. That'll be pretty sweet. If you can pull off a spot and stock on a doe, that's that's an awesome accomplishment for your first hunt, I think. Heck yeah. I'm uh I'm going to be tomorrow packing up my bags and uh, loading things up, seeing how light I can get my pack. I'm hoping to uh, have a relatively light backpack to take into the mountains because I don't want to be carrying the whole kitchen sink five miles or ten miles into the wilderness. So I'm going to work on that tomorrow. And then uh, early the next day, we'll be piling in a minivan. We've uh, we've converted a minivan into the Elkmobile for us, and <laughs> we're going to be driving 24 hours into Idaho. So I'm uh, I'm pretty stoked for that. Sounds good. Well, good luck, Mark. I hope you uh I hope you shoot a slob. I appreciate it, buddy, and good luck to you too. And uh, probably by the next podcast episode, we'll have some updates on both of our hunts for the Wired Hunt Nation. So I'll let you go, Dan, and uh let's talk soon. All right. We'll talk uh when you get back. Sounds good, buddy. Shoot a big one. Well, I know this episode was different than usual, but I hope you were maybe just a little bit inspired to try something new yourself. And as I record this, I am literally just minutes away from leaving for my own Idaho elk hunting adventure. So hopefully, Dan and I will both have some good stories for you soon. And then before you know it, whitetail season will be here too. That said, as always, if you've been enjoying the podcast, we would greatly appreciate it if you could leave us a rating or review on iTunes. It takes just a few seconds and it really helps our cause. Big thanks to the 67 of you that have already done that. Speaking of appreciation, we'd like to thank our partners who helped make this show possible. Big thanks to Sitka Gear, Redneck Blinds, Trophy Ridge, Bear Archery, Carbon Express Arrows, Huntsoft, Lacrosse Boots, Big and J Long Range Attractants, and the Whitetail Institute of North America. Finally, be sure to visit wiredandhunt.com episode 23 to view the show notes and links from today's episode. That said, thank you so much for being here with us today. Until next week, stay wired to hunt.
I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. You simply pour a can into your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. So pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. 